Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here. Thanks for coming. Uh, that's way too much fun. I was talking to someone earlier after the nine o'clock service. I'm like, some people would think church shouldn't be this fun and they're wrong. I'm just saying it's a lot of fun. Hey, thanks for coming. This is week three of our three-week Christmas series that we've entitled Unwrapped. And we had a little video bumper, if you weren't here for all three weeks, that sort of set up each week the topic that we were going to talk about. So just by way of review, if you missed some of this, um, the first week we wanted to talk about this idea that, that a gift doesn't matter to you until it's been opened or unwrapped. And to show that point, we invited some kids into a room with some hidden cameras, and we had Kristen, one of our teachers here, give that child a gift. And then she told the gift, we're going to open this wonderful present as soon as I get back. And then she left the room only to never return. <laughs> and we watched these kids, like it's torture, honestly, just lose their ever-loving mind waiting for Kristen to come back and open this gift. And, and we talked about that because it's, it's significant to understand this, that the gift had already been given to them. But it didn't matter to them until they could open it and unwrap it, right? And, and the truth is this. This Christmas season, we need to remember that God the Father has given us a gift, the greatest gift ever in Jesus. And Jesus, again, won't matter to us until we unwrap him and understand what he's done for us. So we looked in Luke's gospel and we looked at his life and death on a cross. And it's only then do we fully uh, have the ability to appreciate Jesus as the gift and appreciate God the Father, the giver of that gift. And then last week in week two, we wanted to talk about this idea of disappointment. So same type of scenario. We take a young girl, her name was Izzy. She's so cute. We bring into a room and we set her at a table with hidden cameras and Kristen sets a gift in front of her. And with an iPad, she starts going through the Toys R Us webpage showing all the great gifts that Izzy might expect for Christmas. We're really trying to build this anticipation, right? Then we say, okay, Izzy, are you ready to open your gift now? And she's like, let me at it. And she opens up this gift and rather than a really awesome toy, she finds what? A potato, right? <laughs> it's so awesome. But Izzy is such a good kid. She loved the potato. We gave her a real gift after and then we asked her, we said, which gift would you like to take home, the toy or the potato, and she asked for both. So we gave them both to her. We gave her a potato like an orphan. That's what I'm saying. She took it home and was probably nibbling on it in her bed. I have no idea. 
And then this week, hilarity ensues, right? We just want to try to come up with the grossest way we could change recipes for holiday desserts and invite some of our friends in to be tortured by them as well. And so you saw what happened there. And this is something you didn't see, but we had to intentionally let each person choose at each round. Someone got to go first in every round. And we did that because we didn't want anyone to think that we were just picking on one person by giving them the bad treat, right? To be honest, if we were doing that, we would have gave them all to Terry. He deserves them, right? <laughs> Love you. Anyways, so we let each person pick, but for them to pick the treat that was not good, they had to look good. We had to make them look great. We took whipped cream and chocolate drizzle on that hot cocoa, yet we know deep down inside it's soy sauce. It's disgusting, but they had to look good. Otherwise, they wouldn't choose them. And here's kind of what we learned, that looks can be deceiving, can't they? Oh, yeah, looks can be real deceiving. And I, I don't want to get too personal, but I want to ask you guys a couple questions. In the next few days, maybe eight, ten days or so, you're going to have holiday dinners, Christmas dinners. Some of you are going to host them. Thank you for that. And some of you are just going to bring a dish. And if you're a 20-year-old, or if you're a 20-year-old, you're just going to bring a bag of chips. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's what you guys do, right? And you're going to host this event, and you're going to put out the good linen, maybe, right? The, the real cloth napkins, thank you for that. And china, maybe out of the china cabinet, and real silverware, not, not chinette and plasticware, if you know what I'm talking about. And in the back of the room, right, you're going to have some Christmas music playing, and on refrain, we're going to hear these common words, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, right? But as in those desserts, our lives oftentimes aren't what they appear to be either, See, sometimes we're putting on this, this picture of what a good life looks like, but looks can be deceiving. See, this Christmas season, many of us in the room are going to experience something that we have never experienced before. There'll be another guest who invites himself to come. This guest might be sickness, cancer, disease, I don't know. And there will be people in the room, instead of enjoying the peace on earth that Jesus has given us, are now fraught with anxiety and stress, wondering if this is, in fact, the last Christmas I'll get to see my family. Wondering if they'll be here next Christmas. And for some people, they'll be fighting back tears that seem to roll still too easily since the divorce has been finalized or since the funeral a couple months ago, or maybe since you received the pink slip this past summer. And so even though we, we roll out the linen and we try to make this thing look beautiful behind the scenes, so to speak, it's not what it appears to be. But because we've all seen that famous Norman Rockwell painting, Freedom from Want, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where the, the patriarch is standing at the end of this long table, family on both sides, and grandma, mama, and she's putting out this really large, almost too large for the size of the family. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> this too large turkey that's golden and brown, setting it down as he's waiting to carve it. And on each side of the table, there's family members in a jovial expression, laughing at the conversations that's taking place. Everyone is enjoying this holiday time. And because we've seen that picture, or because culture tells us that's what our family dinner should look like, or our holiday dinner should look like, we try to present something to the world that it's in fact not. And we stretch this artist's canvas around this wooden frame, trying to present a picture of a life that doesn't exist for us. And the thing is so tight with tension. If any of those wooden rails were to snap or break, the whole thing would collapse on itself and fall to the ground. And like in our lives, it would do so publicly and shamefully. The tension is too much. 
speaking of tension, you know the most tense day ever in a person's life is the wedding day. One of the joys that I get to do as a pastor is I get to officiate weddings. And if you know me well, you know I've said this before. I don't care for weddings, honestly. And here's why. It's not that I don't care about the people. I love the people. They're awesome. I've counseled them. I believe in them. I know they're going to do well. The thing that gets me is the stress of the wedding day. The bride has been thinking about this day probably since she was a little girl, right? And everything has been tirelessly put together in hopes that this wedding would one day maybe be on the cover of a wedding magazine. And everything is held tight and tense. And there's just one thing that could fall apart and the whole day would crash. And I know me. And I'll be the guy that falls apart and does something wrong. I'll say the wrong name. I'll forget to do the rings. They'll forget to kiss. I'll kiss somebody. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) And the whole thing, it falls apart. And so maybe it's not holiday dinners for you. Maybe it's not the wedding day for you. But everyone can relate to this story. You're sitting at home for that one night. You just happen to be at home. Does everyone run crazy, right? You actually have a night at home. The whole family's there. The phone rings, you answer it, and it's a friend that you haven't seen in a while. And they're like, hey, bro, me and the wife are going to be in your area in about 20 minutes. Is it okay if we just stop by? You're like, yeah, heck yeah. And you're going, family, everyone come downstairs right now. DEFCON 4. We have to clean the house right now. But we don't even clean the whole house. We clean the entryway, that part of the living room, and that bathroom on the main floor. You know what I'm talking about? And by clean, I mean we just hide stuff. We're hiding stuff in closets and in the garage. Do not let anyone go into the garage. I bring up all of these scenarios before us because I want you to see something. something that I picked up on. That this craziness that we go through, this... this this propping up facades, right? Trying to be somebody we're not, it points to something. It points to something that this life is not meant to be this way. Now, I don't promise often, but I promise you this one thing. I know what the Bible says about God, and the Bible would be lying to us if God intended this world to look this way. God wouldn't be loving and kind and gracious to us if we had to churn through life the way we seem to by propping up these fake images of our lives so that no one else would get to know us. See, here's the reality. We try to give someone a different picture than the real us because we know the real us and we're afraid if they knew the real us, they wouldn't like us because we sometimes don't like ourselves. And you know this to be true when someone tries to pay you a compliment. Give you an example. I'm at dinner with my daughter not long ago. Um, Taco place, shocker, right? I'm at a Mexican restaurant and someone comes up to me after and says these words, hey, Jeff, you didn't see me, but I was at the restaurant on Tuesday night when you were there with your daughter and I was watching you. And I saw how you interacted with your daughter. You had your phones down. You were engaging in conversation. You were smiling to each other. I'm like, are you sure it was me? I'm just saying, (laughs) no, it was you. It was you. And and then he goes, my wife and I hope to have children one day. And I hope, I pray, honestly, that I'll, I'll be as good as dad as you are. And no sooner do those words cross his lips, I immediately think back to the Tuesday before when I was screaming at my daughter because my frustration level had just boiled over. And I came down quite possibly too heavy-handed in some punishment. Maybe it's a, a woman, Sally, some 
woman named Sally. And Sally has a, a young lady approach her and says, listen, uh, my fiance and I are getting married next spring. And we've been um, looking at you at church. We know you at church. And you and your husband seem to have this, this perfect marriage. And we're wondering, would you mind sitting down with us and teaching us what it's like to have a, a good marriage? Because we want to have a good marriage like yours. And immediately Sally's going, OMG, they have no idea that my marriage is in fact hanging on by thread. See, we can't even accept compliments because everything that we seem to be pushing forward for everyone else to look at is fake. It's not even the real us. And I'm, I'm not arguing that culture isn't trying to shape us to do something else. I know this. Culture is, t is selling us something. And I use that word intentionally because the film industry, the music industry, and all the media is selling you something. You guys buy it. I buy it too, right? When we rent the movies or buy the records or whatever. That they're selling us a picture of what our life is supposed to look like. Look like. And I'm not saying that we do all of this propping up of facades and the tense work at, at holidays. I'm not saying we do all that because of that. I think there's something far more sinister and more ancient at work in our lives. It's this thing called sin. Sin exists in the earth. And because of that, it causes us to do the craziest, the wildest things. Go back to your Bible in the book of Genesis, the beginnings when God created Adam and Eve and God would be with Adam and Eve daily in the garden and everyone lived in the good thing that God had created. And then one day, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And when God come walking in the garden that day looking for them, they couldn't be found. They were hiding from him. Why were they hiding from him? Because they had sinned against him and sin makes you do crazy things. And they're hiding behind this proverbial bush or whatever. And God finally sees them and he calls them out. He says, Adam and Eve, come out here. What are you doing? And they come walking out, having covered themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves, a mask, a, a facade over themselves. Guys, hear me. That's what we do when we hide behind things for other people. And God looks at them like he looks at us. And he says, oh, no, no, this will never work for you. And not to be too heavy-handed in the language, but God does this wonderful thing where he unwraps Adam and Eve from their fig leaves and says, I have something better for you. The Bible tells us that God then, he, he killed an animal. We don't know how, when, what, or what, but he takes the, the skins of that animal and he places it upon Adam and Eve. As weird as that sounds, we know this from all of our studies in the Bible and what we've been saying here at Renaissance for the past six or seven years, that sin... Um, Sin to be atoned for requires death. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, fig leaves weren't going to cover it. An animal, a sacrifice must have been given. And I wish I could spend more time talking about that. But God, hear me, he took care of it. And so Adam and Eve are standing in this place with God. Now that he's covered their sins, there's something, something different at work here. But sin, and I need you to hear this, when I'm talking about sin, I, I'm not talking about your behavior. I know behavior can be sinful. I'm talking about something deeper than your behavior. The root cause on why you think the way you think and why you act the way you act. The Bible would call this, this sin that's buried beneath our behaviors and our thoughts, depravity. The world has in fact been given over to this depravity. And Jesus knew about this. God knew about this. And Jesus, he comes to the earth to address it, to deal with it. 
In fact, while Jesus was here on the earth, he got to experience firsthand some of the same things that we experience because of sin. He was hit head on by an, in an event in his life that drove him to weep openly over the effects of sin in this world. In John chapter 11, we're going to read our Bibles. If you're wondering, welcome to Renaissance. We do read our Bibles here. But in John chapter 11, I want to read the story about Jesus and a couple of his friends. Jesus had a lot of friends. I don't know if you know that. The Bible actually says that he's a friend of sinners. So he'd be some of your friends. Amen? I don't believe you. Anyway, so Jesus has a couple friends here, that three of them. We know them by name. It's Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, right? If you're having a baby soon, just throwing that name out there. It might be an awesome name. You're welcome for that, <laughs> right? So Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the story goes like this, that Lazarus had become sick. We don't know what the sickness is, but we know it's dire because Mary and Martha, the sisters, they ask for Jesus to come to them. Jesus is over here somewhere else in Judea doing ministry, and they want Jesus to come to Lazarus to heal him because Jesus has been healing people. Lazarus is deathly sick. But before Jesus can arrive, Lazarus dies. In fact, they throw his dead body in a tomb, and then Jesus enters the scene. And we can pick this up in verse 32 of John chapter 11. It says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. And Jesus, when he saw her weeping and the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, then he too was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And so he said to them, well, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come over here and see and in verse 35, something hits Jesus that he'd never experienced up until now. That he's not living in a heavenly place looking down on the earth and watching sin and depravity rule and reign. Now he's experiencing it firsthand. And what happens to his, his friends when it fully matures and causes death? He, he cries. I'll go so far as to say he cries like a baby. He weeps openly, tears streaming down his face. This is that ugly cry that other people notice. They go, what is, what is happening to him? And you can see that other people see this. The Jews say in verse 36, see how he loved him. He's weeping over his friend who is now dead because of sin. And be, and, but some of them said this wouldn't have happened. Could not the person who opened the eyes of the blind, could not Jesus, the one who heals, couldn't he also have kept this man from dying? Interesting backstory in some of this story is that Jesus absolutely could have. In fact, when Mary and Martha first approached him about this issue, Jesus waited instead of going to heal Lazarus. How many people get frustrated in that? Why would you not go? Jesus had an intention behind it. He says that they're going to see the glory of God. They're going to see God do something stupendous. In fact, back in verse 25, I don't give you this verse, but I'll read it for you. He says something to, to Martha here. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, if anyone believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So Jesus has pointed to something. There's a reason why he delayed in coming to Lazarus, and there's a reason why he's standing before the tomb with the dead man inside of it. Spoiler alert, Jesus raises him from the dead. <laughs> I think everyone knows that. But there's something significant here. 
Jesus stands here in verse 38, deeply moved again. He comes to the tomb. It's a cave with a stone rolled in front of it or laying against it. And then Jesus says, well, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man said, but Lord, by this time there will be an odor in there. He stinketh. King James, you're welcome. (laughs) For the old people in the room, I'm just saying. Right? He says, no, Lord, he's been dead for four days. And, and, And Jesus said, but didn't I tell you what would happen? Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? There's a, there's a moment coming. You're concerned about an odor rolling away. Your dead brother's inside. That's your concern. No, if you believed, you'll see God do something glorious. So they took away the stone. He convinces them. And then Jesus lifts up his eyes and he says, Father, praying to God, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this on account of the people standing around listening, that they may believe this one thing. You have sent me. We celebrate Christmas, the the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every year about this time. This is that. God has sent him here. And he's about to do something the world has never seen before. He's about to speak into that cave, into that tomb. He's about to speak at sin itself, speak at death itself, and change the course of Lazarus's life. And he begins to cry out. He says here, when he had said these things, that he began to cry out with a loud voice. It's a voice of authority a voice of conviction. Would you cry out the things that that Jesus cries out if you didn't believe they were going to happen? Uh-uh, not me. And I love the fact that he raises his voice. He wants to make sure the universe hears it because what I'm about to do will change lives forever. Um, I have a a dog. Eh, it's a shih tzu. We'll call it a dog. I don't know, right? (laughs) Um, To be honest, he's a moron. And I mean that. I'll send you a picture of him. You could look at him and go, he's an idiot. He really is not a smart dog. And, and I let him walk behind our house. We live next to a park, and I don't leash him. The, the park rules said all dogs must be leashed, but surely my dog will obey my voice when I tell him to come hither, when I tell him to come to me, right? So every day we have this game that we play. I let him out, and he runs from me, and I just chase him. And so after having read this, where Jesus with a loud voice declares an authority, come here, Lazarus. I tried it with my dog, who was not dead, but acts like it some days. I said, Wallace, his name's Wallace. Wally sometimes. Wally, come here. And there he goes. One day, particularly last week, I found a seven-foot stick. I don't know why I know it's seven-foot. Okay, I measured it. It was seven-foot, and I used it to sheep herd him back to my yard like the good shepherd that I am. But, but he didn't obey me. My, my loud voice didn't seem to carry the authority that I hoped it would. But guess who's did? Jesus speaks into this dark, decrepit, smelly place and declares to sin, you have no right. Declares to death, you have no right. Let him go. And says these words, Lazarus, come out. Oh, 
And he does. Oh my gosh, he does. Bound in grave clothes, he he whatever this is, he he walks out into the blinding light and stands before the masses who have gathered to watch. Lazarus, come out. In this moment, Jesus declares for the world to see why he is here. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. And if you believe, even though you would die, you would live. Interesting side note that this, this story of Lazarus is a true story. It's not a fable or myth. It's a real thing. It happened in antiquity. We know it happened. And this story is true, but it also is true in another way. It, it parallels almost our own lives. The Bible, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, that we too are like Lazarus. Paul writes, Ephesians 2 uh, verse 1, he says that we are all dead in our transgressions or sins against God. That we are in fact dead. It doesn't look like it, does it? We have blood coursing through our veins where our, our lungs are taking in air and expelling air in other ways sometimes too. We're doing all of these things, wink, wink. We're doing all of these things like we're alive, but as, I, as we've already spoken about, looks can be deceiving because Paul would say that we're already dead. We're dead men walking or the walking dead, whatever picture you want to put in your mind right now. We exist this way. We were born into death this way. But Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, he's made us alive together with Christ. And he does this by grace and he saves you by grace. If you don't know what grace means, it means undeserved, unmerited, unearned. I need you to picture this. Lazarus is laying dead in a grave. Jesus speaks to him and he comes alive again. Lazarus had as much to do with his coming back to life as you do in being saved. You can't do anything to earn it. God calls you back to life. You're dead you can't earn it, work for it, buy it, promote it, order it online. You cannot do anything to get it. And God does all of this because of his great love for us. This work is God's and God's alone. I'm a pastor of a church and I say things often. Boy, I hope I can save some people this week. And then it hits me, Jeff, you're, you can't save anyone any week. So I pray, God, would you save some of your people today? I've prayed today for some of you in this room, and I'll use an old sort of Bible way of saying it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. God wants to bring some of you to life today. Today, he's, he's telling some of us, stop struggling in your grave clothes and let me just call you back to life. This is the work that God only does, but it doesn't leave us off the hook. Because he has some specific instructions for us too. May I take you back to the story in John chapter 11 when the dead man is laying in a tomb and Jesus says, take the stone away. Oh, but Martha objects, which we already laughed about because it's smelly in there. Can I lovingly tell you that's the role of this church every week? That many of you show up and you help me roll a stone away that the dead might march in and hear the, the gospel story, the saving story of Jesus and find life here? 
that we push a stone away every week and we let them come in and man, do they stink. And I don't just mean physically. You and I know the stories of some of the families that are coming and they're a wreck. They've propped up whatever, the PTA, the other parents in the soccer program. They see a different story of your life, but we know the real story. The life is a smelly mess. There's addicts that come and go through our doors. We'll see them one week to not see them for six weeks and they're back again. And there's a clarity in their mind and we're so excited to see them again. And yet they drift away into addiction again only to resurface a couple months later. But every week we push a stone away inviting them to come in. And Jesus also goes one step further after, after uh, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. He's standing in that bright sunshine, right, in front of the crowd, still wrapped in all of his grave clothes. Now imagine what it would look like if you just walked by after that had taken place, right? This is me walking. And so we, we walk by and you look into that situation and you would say to yourself, why is that dead man standing? Shouldn't he be lying down? Why are his hands and feet moving? What is he trying to say underneath this face cloth? And by all appearances, this man looks dead, doesn't he? But as we've already discovered, looks can be deceiving. See, he's not dead. God has called him back to life through Jesus, just like some of the people that have wandered into this place. And then Jesus has these words for him in verse 44. He says this, the man who had died had come out, his hands and feet still bound with linen uh, strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus then tells the people gathered around, unbind him and let him go. Jesus says these words, not to be heavy-handed here, unwrap him and let him go. That's what we do. When you come in here knowing that you've been made alive in Christ, but found yourself drifting back into old ways and old habits and old thoughts, and you come in dragging, broken, and wrapped in grave clothes, we unwrap you. We stand beside you, believing the truth that God has said, that he has raised you to life, and we will, we will stand with you. We will unwrap you again and let you go. Live the life that God wants for you. We do not grow weary in this. Oh, it's wearisome. <laughs> but we will never stop doing this. For this is the command that God has given us as a church. Roll the stone away. Let the dead men come and then unwrap them that they may go find life. Amen. Hey, who said that? Thank you, Sam. <laughs> I have one friend in the room. Her name is Sam. <laughs> I want to close with, um, with a prayer. I want to just pray for us. I, uh, I, I try not to use hyperbole. I'm a very dramatic person, as you can tell. It drives my daughters nuts, man. One of my favorite things to do when I drive them to school every day is find the most ridiculous song on the radio or on my iPod. And right before they get out and open the car doors for everyone, I'm like, crank it up. Like, like we're listening to Teletubbies or something, whatever it is, right? So I know I'm dramatic. I get all that. But, but hear my heart when I say this. I have prayed for you this morning. I've prayed that God would do only that he, what he can do and save some of you. I don't know what that looks like. 
some of you are going to have to stop struggling in grave clothes and just let, let someone else unwrap you. You're going to have to let God call life back into you. You need to stop trying to discipline this work in your life that only God can do. Lazarus doesn't raise himself. Why would you try? Jesus says, all of this is happening in front of this tomb so that the world would know that you have sent me. He who has ears to hear, hear me. Jesus has been sent for you. He has been sent for you. He is calling you back to life. He is laying a road of newness of life before you that you just need to walk upon. It is available through him. And every issue of your life that's fake and broken and smelling of rot and decay, God comes to fix through Jesus. He who has ears to hear, hear it. Hear it. God, we just thank you for everything that you do in Jesus' name. Undeserving, ungrateful at times we are of the work that you do, yet you continue to push forward love and Jesus. God, help us to be a church that would always roll a stone away and make room for the broken and the hurting, the dead in their trespasses. Help us to unwrap those who have found themselves uh, retangled again in the sin of life. Help us to not grow weary in this. God, I pray for more people to help in this endeavor. And for others experiencing this freedom for the first time, God, we thank you for that. We thank you We thank you that you never grow weary in calling forth the dead people as well. That the cross on a hill called Calvary speaks into eternity, hearkening those that would come to come. Make a decision to follow Jesus. Make a decision to believe that he is the resurrection and the life. Make a decision to live his life instead of our own. God, as we go into the, the hurriedness of this last week of the holiday season, when we're stressed, when we're running around, going, uh, running ragged, honestly, Lord, may we be reminded of this moment that it's a surrender that's necessary to, to push that fake life away and to live the true life that you have. May we rest in the work that you have done through your son, Jesus. May we receive him as the gift of salvation that you intended. Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.